Welcome to the Tabletop Sportcast. I'm your host, James Cast. Today is May 28th, 2023, and this is episode 118. Today we're going to look at Agile Principle number 9, focusing on technical excellence and solid design. We'll talk about what the, that principle is and how we're going to apply that to running projects on our tabletop. This is also Memorial Day weekend, and uh, you know our thoughts and prayers to all of those who paid the ultimate sacrifice and gave their lives defending this country through many of the engagements that have taken place over time. Um, if you have served, again, thank you for your service first and foremost. And uh, you know, it's a, it's a. Like most holidays, like Memorial Day weekend has taken on a couple of different meanings, but first and foremost, it's about remembering those who served and and paid that ultimate price. Um, it's also, of course, now become kind of the traditional kickoff to summer, and uh, it's always been a big weekend for me in terms of um, sporting events. Um, it's traditionally when uh, I used to coach track and field. This is when championship season was kicking in as, as the high school seasons were winding down. Um, you know, you, you were really focused on your top athletes at this point and getting ready for those championship meets and everything. And, of course, baseball, ever-present. Uh, and we're deep into the playoffs in hockey and the NBA, so... It's always played a really big moment there, but you know it is. It's kind of our official, unofficial kickoff to summer, even though so it's still in the spring. Uh, it, this is when summertime really feels like it's it's beginning to start. So, um, yeah. So before we get into today's main topic, let's take a look back at the week that was on the tabletop. All right, it's been a busy couple of weeks on my tabletop. Um, and, you know, we're going to cover the last two weeks at a high level just because uh, last week with the interview, I didn't really get into the tabletop recap at all. But uh, I was able to complete over 30 gaming sessions over the past couple weeks. So I've had, um, had the advantage of some time off from work and also uh, end, ended up working from home last week, which, you know, give me back some commute time to to work on a little bit of gaming as well. Uh, first and foremost, it's been, as, as I said, like summertime and, and baseball is, is present here for me. And I've been running through this 1977 Yankees replay uh, right in the middle of June in the replay right now. And the Yankees um, had really three big series um, two with the Western, with the AL West, and they split a two-game series with Minnesota and then dropped a three-game set, got swept by Kansas City right before a three-game set with Boston. So we're certainly heading in the wrong direction, heading into Boston, but the Yankees came away with a three-game sweep of the Red Sox, and exited out of those three series with a half game lead over Boston. Um, yeah, so the team is playing really well right now. Hockey Blast has also been uh, getting quite a bit of play as I'm trying to get through this season uh, by the end of June. 
Um, I had the Yank, the uh, the Rangers, the, the 2020-21 New York Rangers played two with Vancouver um, and also uh, two with Colorado and two with somebody else too. Ottawa, that was it. So five games, I actually won five games in a row with the Rangers, but then they went and dropped back-to-back games to Colorado. Uh, next up for me is a home and home with the Las Vegas Golden Knights. So that'll be the next one up for that s- series. Or and let's see what else. Uh, finished up the WrestleMania showcase with Randy Savage uh, with a couple of matches. First, Ricky Steamboat. I think I may have talked about this last time, but uh, Savage lost to Ricky Steamboat when Steamboat was able to execute his top rope high crossbody with a pin and then the final of the three big wrestlemania matches that i did was uh savage against ted dibiase um the million dollar man and both wrestlers ended up going to the cheat chart this is with um, the squared circle but ted dibiase is the one who actually got disqualified for using a foreign object so that's how that one went down Another small project that I ran was the uh, with off the board horse racing, and we talked with Eric last week. But I completed my uh, 1977 Triple Crown series, and sure enough, Seattle Slough was able to win all three of the Triple Crown races and come away with that Triple Crown. Um, a really close race at the Belmont with Run Dusty Run finishing second, and you know I think both races. Let's see. Yeah, the Seattle Slough won the Belmont by a head, um, won the Preakness by a head, and the Kentucky Derby was a little bit further away, uh, actually won by two and a quarter lengths in that one. So some really tight races for that 1977 Triple Crown, Uh, and that went really well. Also completed my Dice United fictional uh, tournament, uh, the the Dice United Cup. Uh, This was using version one of the game. And it was my Richmond United team that came out on top. They won the final event against FC Rochester 4-0. They were the favorite team. They ended up winning the entire tournament, so that one worked out. I actually had the version two of Dice United come this week, and... I'll probably be previewing that in a um, upcoming episode as well. Uh, so Dice United will probably be on the table again very soon. And let's see. I think the other events that have been going on, uh, some fast drive football got played. Um, I also was able to get some season ticket baseball. First time I had played that, playing with the 1986 teams. Uh, the, the World Series with the Mets and the Red Sox. Planning on playing that a little bit more next month. Face to the Mat got my third show for Season 2 completed in that Wrestling America Federation. And, yeah, I think that – oh, and Red, White, and Blue Racing got the Coca-Cola 500 with the 1980 stars completed this past week as well. Uh, and a little bit of History Maker Baseball Express with the 1969. So – a lot of different things happening on the tabletop. Had a few non-sports games that also made it to the table. 
and doing pretty well. You know, as it, as May comes to a close, I've gotten now 42 games to the table so far this year, uh, and up to 264 gaming sessions completed for the year so far as well. So uh, doing well from that standpoint of playing a lot of things, still trying to make sure I stay on track with some of the projects. And that's a little bit about what we'll talk about in today's episode. So let's shift over and talk about the main topic right now. So as we've done on occasion, we're going to talk a little bit about um, agile methodology and focusing today on agile principle number nine, which is focusing on technical excellence and solid design. And the main idea behind this principle is that if we focus on really being truly excellent when it comes to our technical capabilities, and if we have a really good design to, you know, mostly software, um, we enhance agility within our team. So that's what we want to do from a from an agility standpoint is really try to figure out on a couple of different avenues. One, really good design to software or to your projects. Um, you want to be able to focus on meeting the technical needs. You know, um, it's often referred to that customers don't really care necessarily about the software you're developing. Um, what they want to do is actually get the product that they're looking for and they want the results that they're looking for. So you want to make sure that you're always focused on those results. And there's also a component to this one that's also about always making sure that um, you've got that you continue to build your knowledge base so that that technical excellence piece comes into play from a knowledge standpoint too and making sure that you have the right skills to be able to enhance agility. But what we want to do is try to figure out how do we play this into this idea of tabletop gaming and building really good projects that we can deliver in a timely manner. And there are a few core areas that we're going to focus on as we go through this discussion today. Now, the first one that I, you know, as I was reading up on this, that I think is worth calling out is the idea of like working with hardware versus software. You know, a lot of times what agile teams are, are designed to work on software. And I saw something really cool that, you know, it, it kind of drove a point home that, you know, the reason we call things hardware and software really has to do with the ability to change them. Um, when it comes to, you know, like, Hardware, hardware is called that because they're hard to change. If you've got physical components uh, like, you know, a computer or a server, those kinds of things, they're really hard to change those over and really not cost efficient typically to change those over. But software, on the other hand, is a lot easier to make changes to. You can fix bugs in it. You can add new capabilities to it. And it's a lot easier to do that. So agile teams are usually focused on what can we do in the software space? And I think the same thing can be applied to like tabletop gaming when it comes to this idea of hardware versus software. 
we typically have hardware, uh, the components that come with our games, the actual game boards and the dice and all those kinds of things. And yes, you can make changes to those and our components aren't super expensive generally, but usually like the main components to a game, the bones of a game are all of the, you know, um, the charts that you're using, the dice that you're using, all those kinds of things that you do, you know, whatever kind of game board you have, that's usually your hardware. And usually we're not looking to do that much with those things. Yes, we might do some enhancements here and there. Um, you may want to move from like a paper board to, you know, a game mat and give yourself a little bit more immersion, a little um, better feel for it, maybe even a little more uh, real estate to work with. But generally, you're not doing a whole lot to change the actual hardware of your games. The software, though, to me is like the rules, you know, like I can play with a base set of rules and typically those rules aren't going to change a lot. But, you know, as we've talked in the past, you can add house rules. You can have a game designer say, hey, you know, we've always said it was A, B and C, but actually we're going to change that to A, B and D now. Like this is really the way that through, through additional playtesting, we've learned this is really the better way to have this happen. So it's a lot easier from a rules standpoint uh, to be able to change some of those things out. You know, when I think about like what software might also include, to me, like a lot of the card sets that we use are more like software too. Um, I can I can interchange those pretty easily without changing the base part of the game. So when you think about like what things you're going to try to focus on, like the software is a lot of like how you're going to use the hardware of the game. How am I going to use those different components? And the how you're going to do things is usually a lot easier to change from an agility standpoint. There's also this idea in, in agility and, and software development that I think we can apply to our tabletop gaming. And that's this idea of technical debt. A lot of times when you're designing software, what you want to think about is what's the level of investment or level of effort that it's going to take to deliver the capabilities. And what is the return on investment of those capabilities? We want to design things in software that are very easy to put together and will have a high payoff for the customers. That's the goal. It doesn't always work out that way. But one of the one of the reasons this agile principle came into play is because we have a tendency to strive for perfection. And in striving for perfection, what we'll sometimes do is start to increase the technical debt. The amount of things that it takes, the definition of technical debt is really what's it going to cost to maintain this software? And the cost isn't as much about financial cost as it is about time cost. All of a sudden, you're seeing that level of effort and the amount of investment that you have to make increase very slowly as you get closer to perfection. 
And I think that's really important to remember as we're designing projects for our tabletop that there is a certain point where you have to decide like what's the real payoff of a certain project. And three things that really came into mind when I was thinking about like areas that we typically will see an increase in technical debt in is stat keeping, roster management, and league sizes. You know, for me, when I'm designing projects, these are the three things that are, I'm usually thinking like, how much of this do I really need for this particular project? And it, it they're also probably the places that I'll look for utilities to help me out as much as I possibly can. So let's start with stat keeping. You know, the amount of stat keeping that you do, it really has to be based on a personal feel. And, and remember, you are the customer most of the time for these projects that you're developing. So you have to really sit down and ask yourself, like, how much stats do you need? And for different people, that's a different level. For me, it's even a different level depending on the sport that I'm talking about. A lot of my projects that I run, I am not doing a lot of stat keeping for. And typically the only places that I'll actually get into actual stat keeping of any kind is one, if it's easy to do within the game. And two, if the team that I'm working with is really close to home for me. Some examples. So uh, with, and with recent projects, the Dice United Fictional League that I ran. When I created the cards, I only went about halfway through the actual design elements and left out all of the individual components. The only thing that really hurt there a little bit was the idea of like who on the team is going to be eligible for red cards. But because I was running a tournament, I, I kind of decided that there wouldn't really be a lot of red cards, um, that everybody was going to be ultra focused on staying in the games and there wouldn't be a lot of red cards happening throughout the game. So I stayed at the team level and, and with Dice United, it was easy enough to stay at the team level and not have to focus on who are the individual scorers. I just wanted to get final results for the teams, like who won, who lost. I didn't even really keep track in the standings because again, I was just playing a single elimination tournament. So the most goals are going to be scored by the team probably that won the entire thing or one of the teams that advanced the furthest. I wasn't really that focused on the stat keeping. Then I get into something like my second season project that I'm doing where I'm trying to recreate Barry Sanders 1994 season. Now in that, um, because again, I had to decide like what's the level of stats that I want to keep. And very early on in that, I decided, really, the only person I care about is Barry Sanders. So let me only track the stats for Barry. I keep track of the number of passes and runs being made by other people on the team, just so I'm using the team correctly for the Lions. But even when it comes to their opponent, like I'm, I've gotten now to the point where I'm shifting into like second season express to run through the other offense. I don't even want to spend a lot of time playing that in full play. And therefore, I'm not tracking stats for the other teams at all. I know how many uh, points they scored, and that's really all that I care about. And when it comes to the Lions, I'm just tracking those usage stats during the game, 
But again, not tracking how many yards they get or anything like that. The only one I track any yardage for at all is Barry Sanders. And I keep track of his season stats. And then I get to things like baseball, where for me, baseball is just a, it's a place that I always want to have a lot of stats being kept. But even there, it's not every single project that that happens for. And a lot of times that comes down to, you know, these other two elements of roster management and league sizes. Like, you know, this 1977 Yankees project, uh, one of the things I really loved about using digital diamond baseball was the fact that it had all the as-played rosters. And there's part of me that doesn't enjoy using the as-played rosters as much, but from a maintenance standpoint, it's a lot easier to be able to go in and just quickly say, okay, what's the lineup for today? Like, I just go through the cards for that team and got their lineup organized, do the same for the Yankees. And then when it comes to actually making substitutions, I just look and I'm like, all right, well, who's available? You know, who's actually in the bullpen? Who are the bench hitters? And I'll go through those and make sure that I'm using guys who are actually available. And that changes, you know, it makes it a lot easier for me to have to manage it because I don't have to think about all the other games. And then it's simulating every game except for the ones that I'm playing for the Yankees. So I'm getting the season stats. I have an idea about how the whole league is performing without having to perform any of those other games. So I'm taking advantage of a digital tool to help me reduce the technical debt for my project. And I'm still focused on the amount of effort that I need for the part of that project that I want, which is really, how are the Yankees doing? And the same thing goes with league sizes. You know, a lot of times we have these grand ideas about huge projects that we want to do, but when you start to build it out more and more and more, the more teams means the more games that have to be played or simulated. Um, the more teams, the harder it becomes to manage all those different rosters that you have. Um, so sometimes it's better to really think about keeping a league size small if if it will meet your needs. And you have to at least hit that bare minimum of what it's going to be to deliver on, again, what does the customer want? Third area is around good design principles. And again, this comes back to this idea of does the investment align with the rewards? Here, I would say, and, and on the next part that we're going to talk about as well, this is where you really have to start building your skills as a product or project designer. Think about what, you know, for me, it's always about coming back to those t-shirt sizes, large, medium, small. I want to make sure that my projects are designed for the right size. And going in and thinking about like, it's always easy to default to like, I want to play a full season. But you have to a lot of times think, is that really what's going to be the right payoff for this particular project? So one of the things that I really do, and it's learning from all of you. And I keep track of things that I see on Facebook, for me, mostly Facebook, uh, occasionally with Delphi. And I try to like look at what kind of projects people are running and what are they talking about. And sometimes I will see them. I will see projects that I say that's just too big for anything that I would want to do. But then there's other times where I do come across projects and I love the design of them. And I try to bring those back into the fold and I try to run those projects 
on my own tabletop as well because it looks like it's built on a good design principle for what would meet my needs. So you always want to make sure that as you're building a project, you keep in mind first and foremost, like what is your end goal? What do you really want to do? How much time do you really want to invest into this? And then stay true to that as you continue to design your project. And make sure that you don't constantly chase perfection. Reach that point where you know you're going to do enough to run a good project and still get the reward that you want. And make sure that the level of an investment is equated enough to the return on investment. Because as soon as you start to move into kind of bad design, it means that you're putting more investment in than the return you're going to get from it. So you want to make sure those things are in balance and that you get more return on your investment than what you have to actually invest up front. That's really what good design is going to come down to. And be flexible where you need to. If you have projects that, you know, just too big, I always, you know, I talked about years, I think one sometime last year, my struggles with face to the mat. And it was more around sometimes my struggles with running wrestling federations in general. It's really easy to want to make it super big. I want all these different title belts. I want all these different wrestlers involved. Well, I'm running this Wrestling America Federation and I've only got like 35 to 40 wrestlers who are active in the Federation right now. And even with that many, I am struggling to get all of them engaged in the Federation at the right level. And it probably means running slightly longer events as I go through this or running more events. But I'm trying to stay true to the idea that I want to keep this to about 12 events. And I want to have it where the events are typically only, you know, about six to 10 events per night in a sense. Uh, so that limits the number of matches that I can use and the number of wrestlers who can get engaged. So I'm getting creative about figuring out other ways and it's more helpful as, as they, as it progresses, I'm going to see more um, allies develop and more feuds develop and it'll be easier to get people more engaged, different wrestlers engaged in different ways, you know, an ally might join somebody for their match and therefore get an appearance or the feud between these two wrestlers might show up where he, you know, the, the feuding person shows up against, you know, with, with the opponent for the other, for the person they're feuding with, um, you know, so maybe they're ringside or, you know, maybe they get a chance to work in a tag team match that was unscheduled, all those kinds of different ways to get more people engaged in it. But I'm, I'm always trying to stay true to that principle and not overinvest in, in managing that federation. And then the last place where you can really focus on technical excellence and solid design is on building your own skills. You never want to get to a place where you feel like you've got it all figured out. You always want to be out there and trying to learn best practices from others. 
I I love getting into like bigger group settings and and something like a play.con, for instance, you know, where I get a chance to actually sit down and watch other people play games too, or talking with other folks and learning, you know, learning how they're attacking a game. I will sometimes pick up best practices. Sometimes I'm just learning things that I was doing wrong from the get go. And, and I think always trying to learn the rules of a game is important. Because as much as you might feel like you've got it figured out, there's always going to be that one rule that you're playing wrong because maybe you just interpreted it the wrong way. And the more you expose yourself to other people and learning how they attack the games, you're going to find places where you've got a gap in your knowledge and you can help yourself close that. One of the advantages I have in running projects as often as I do is sometimes games go off the table for a little while. And then when I bring it back out again, I have to really kind of regroup and say, all right, let me make sure I pay attention to the actual rules for this game. Am I following these the way that they were designed? And every now and again, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of pick up something and be like, man, I've been playing this wrong for years. And I totally missed I totally misinterpreted how this is supposed to be played. Sometimes it's starting with basic rules. And then as I get more comfortable with it, adding in some of those advanced options, you know, some, you know, I did an episode a couple of years ago and sometimes I like to add those advanced options very quickly, but other times I wait until I really have a good feel for a game before I start thinking about adding in some of those advanced options. So, you know, building it up to that, to where you're building towards expertise is a good idea. So always true back to ensure you're doing it right. You know, check with others, watch other people play the games. You know, this is where YouTube uh, can be a really helpful tool because you get to see how other people are playing the games. And there are some people out there who are really good about showing you how to play the games. That that's really good to be able to watch that and and get a feel for for how a game is supposed to be played and continue to work on building your skills when it comes to actually playing these games and running those projects. So that's a lot of different ways that you can focus on technical excellence and solid design, and and I think it has a lot of good applications to how we do our tabletop projects. You know. The more, you know, it is a lot about skill building, but it is also about goal setting too. And, and you, when you know, because again, you're the customer, right? You're not designing projects for other people most of the time. You're designing them for you. And the first thing you always want to do is set that goal. Like, what do I really want to get out of this? What am I trying to get? You know, what do I want to see come out of this project? And for some of them, you're going to realize like, you know what? I don't have to do a lot to meet that particular goal. And if it isn't a lot, don't overinvest in it. Don't make it bigger than it has to be. Sometimes I set goals as simple as I really want, I bought this card set. I feel like I need to play with it. Okay, what are you going to do with it? Well, that isn't a time where I should be saying, oh, I'm going to play a full season. Everybody's going to play their full schedule. No, I just want to get that card set to the table. So let me design a much simpler project. And I can scale it down quite a bit and I can limit the amount of investment that I put into that particular project because the goal is a lot smaller. There are certainly times where I want to, like I set the goal, 
and I set it really high. And the intent is, yes, you've got to get to that high level of return. And that does mean sometimes a lot more investment is going to be having to be made into that particular project to be able to get that return on investment. If that's the case, you got to do it because you're meeting your needs the right way. So always chew back to like what you want, you being the customer, and then figure out like what's the best way to apply that. But constantly work on your skills, be better at it, try different tools. You know, I love the the analog and the manual nature of tabletop sports, but that doesn't mean that I don't take advantage of using spreadsheets and building my spreadsheet knowledge and how to utilize formulas. Uh, it doesn't mean that I don't use things like a website to track my results or take an electronic, you know, um, tablet to help do my scoring. Use t- utilities like, you know, digital diamond baseball, um, there's some other really good utilities out there. Like I'll embrace all those things if I think it's going to help me reach the right level of investment without over-investing my own time and energy into it. Then yes, I will definitely utilize those utilities where I can. Okay, so that's agile principle number nine. Uh, let's come back and wrap up today's episode. And that's a wrap on this week's episode where we focused on Agile Principle number 9, all about technical excellence and good design, good practices for reducing the level of investment without taking away for that re- from that return on investment. Next week, we turn the calendars to June, and we are going to kick off the month interviewing. We're going to sit down with Steve Tower from After Further Review, the YouTube station. Uh, Steve's going to join us. We're going to talk all about tabletop gaming, uh, his channel, and probably touch on a little bit of play.com too as we start to count down into the final weeks uh, before the big event for the year. So more on that next week. And until then, thank you for listening.